Thank you, Jenny. Yes, I was, I did go on a last minute silent retreat this week. If that sounds terrible and awful and impossible to you, you should go try it. All right, so without further ado, I'm going to be uh, preaching from John 20 this week. Uh, it's actually the lectionary reading from last week, which is John 19 to 31. Um, and this is a pretty intense passage that it's really easy to read through quickly, like a lot of other stuff. Uh, before we get started, though, before I read it, uh, just a few quick things about the Gospel of John. Um, it's the most unique gospel story in the Bible. The other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the Synoptic Gospels, and they are very similar. 80% of, of, uh, of Mark is also found in Matthew and Luke. So they're really similar. They're different, but they're similar. John is out here on his own. And he's probably, it's probably the last gospel written. It was probably written around about 90 AD or CE, depending on which letters you like to use to mark your eras, uh, which means it's about 60 years after Jesus died. This is probably written. Mark was probably the earliest written, and Matthew and Luke sometime after there. We don't really know exactly when, so it's a bit of guesswork. <laughs> uh, it may have been written by John, the son of Zebedee, who was one of Jesus' close, close disciples, or it may have been written by one of John's close disciples. We're not sure about that either. Some people land on either side. But either way, it's a testimony and a version of this story from someone who is really close to Jesus. Um, let's read it. So John 20, verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked because they were afraid of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, or Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here in my side and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. 
Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You believe because you have seen, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. That's a lot of stuff, isn't it? I think probably for most of us, it's easy to take a lot of this stuff for granted, right? If you, if you believe in Jesus, if you're here, you're probably at least open to that in some way. You've probably accepted the fact that Jesus was killed and rose from the dead, right? Has everybody accepted that? Is that like we're on that page? We don't need to, we're not trying to convince that. It's fine if you're not on that page yet. That's, you're in good company. Um, but it's easy from that perspective to read this story and not take it like it's a big deal, right? It's easy to, to not be amazed when you kind of know the end of the story already. So I'm going to focus on Thomas. There's so much stuff in here, like we could spend our life focusing on <laughs> the contents of this, but we're just going to focus on Thomas. Uh, and I... The question I have, is Thomas really any worse off than anybody else here? He's inherited this terrible epitaph, doubting Thomas, Thomas the doubter, and we throw this around like, don't be such a doubting Thomas, blah, blah, blah. Like, has anybody ever heard that? Am I the only one who's ever? Okay, yes. Okay, everyone's heard that. All right, good. <laughs> Still on the same page. Awesome. Um, I don't think that's really fair to Thomas, to put it bluntly. Um, I'm not sure why, I mean, he does get singled out here, but if we read it quickly, we miss the fact that none of the other disciples believed in Jesus that he had risen until they also saw him and saw the wounds in his body. Nobody else believed. Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed up. Bummer. Everybody else was there. And in fact, everyone else had already been told by an eyewitness that Jesus was alive. Because Mary Magdalene, who'd been to the tomb and met with Jesus in the garden near it, and grabbed on to Jesus, and Jesus sent her back, and she went back to everyone else who's hiding in this locked up room and said, I have seen the Lord. Nobody else is like, great, Jesus is alive. They don't do that until Jesus shows up and they see him. Thomas just wants to see Jesus too. Is that an unreasonable request? It's not unreasonable. It's, it's not uncaring. It's not callous. It's not hard-hearted. In fact, it's the request of someone whose heart is incredibly alive and hurting and desperate and hungry and in love but brokenhearted. Imagine, imagine that your friends have had a party, like you're celebrating, one of your best friends has gone overseas, and they're coming back for Christmas, and you've 
you've organized a party and you're all hanging out and the salsa runs out, so you pop out to the shop to grab some salsa. And the line is long and blow, you know, the person in front of you drops their change on the floor and you're like, oh my gosh, just let me get the salsa and get back. And you finally get back to the place where you're having the party and everyone's like, oh, you missed it. Joe was here. He, pa- he came in. He had, his flight got changed. He, ha- he only had a short layover, but he popped in anyway. And he's gone back to the airport. We saw him, though. He was here. How disappointing would that be? And that's like, that's not the gravity of this situation, is it? Think of times in your life when you really wanted someone to be somewhere and you wanted to meet with somebody or like just how bummed out you get when someone cancels plans on you that you're really looking for, like, oh, I, you know, like I'm sick or whatever. It's disappointing. It hurts, doesn't it? This is a thousand times worse. And Thomas is just like, I need to meet with Jesus. So what, like, what is it that Thomas is really asking for here? I think he's really aware of the, the state of his heart. He's really aware that he's in, a, he's in a bad place. They're all holed up in this room. They're afraid. They don't know if people are going to come and drag them out and crucify them too or flog them or whatever. They don't know. Also, they're all probably feeling terrible because their best friend, the guy they've been following for years, has just been brutally murdered publicly under false charges as a criminal, and everybody le- abandoned him. All his best friends left him in the lurch in the time of his greatest need. So they're all feeling awful and freaked out, and Jesus shows up. And it, it, something else I, I, I don't want to gloss over is, it says, the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Saying it like that, and that one little sentence, probably doesn't capture the moment very well. Like, we should probably just pause there for a bit and think of, like, if someone you thought was dead showed up in the room. I mean, even if you didn't know the person, you'd be like, this would be a big deal. If this was your best friend, or your significant other, or your spouse, or whoever... This would be a really, really big deal. You would rejoice greatly. Imagine that level of awesomeness. And then imagine you're the one that missed out on it. So what does Thomas say? He says, I need what everybody else has. I can't take this. I need Jesus. That is the right thing to say. That is the right response when your heart is broken and you're crushed and you're afraid, the right thing to say is, Jesus, I need you. Right? That's not doubt. That's a statement of faith. Thomas goes further. He's like, I don't just need to see him. I need to, I need to touch him. It's important that this isn't just some sort of spiritual apparition. It's important that it's the Jesus who I know was crucified and that it's that body that has 
holes in the hands and a big gash in the side from a spear, it's that body. It's the same person. Now, for some reason, they don't mention probably his feet also had holes in them and like his body was extremely messed up by being scourged and having thorns put on it and having his face punched to a pulp and all this stuff. They focus on certain aspects, but the point is that it's the same person, it's the same body, it's Jesus. Thomas is an all-in guy. He's there 100%. He's like, guys, I just, I want to be there 100%. I, I think he really wants to be there. He really wants to be where everybody else is at, rejoicing that Jesus is back. But he knows that he needs Jesus. And he's like, I want to be where you're at, but I'm not. He's being honest. He's not pretending. This, do you know what the only other thing Thomas says in the Bible is? He's mentioned in the lists of apostles and stuff, but the only other thing he says other than this in the Bible is in John chapter 11. When Jesus is, uh, just received the report that Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus, their, his dear friend, has died. And eventually Jesus is like, all right, we're going to go. Now we're going to go visit them up near Jerusalem. And all the disciples are like, uh, yeah, Jesus, you know, this is where, and they've probably been thinking, this is the reason why Jesus didn't go when Lazarus was just sick instead of when Lazarus was dead, uh, because there's a bunch of religious leaders there who want to murder you because you've been saying, you've been healing people on the Sabbath, you've been saying you're God, they are going to kill you. And Jesus is like, yeah, but we're going anyway. You know what Thomas says? He says, well, let's go with him and die also. This guy's all in. He's the one that says that to everybody else. I, I, I love the Passion Translation. I do not like the commentary on that verse, which says Thomas is making a pessimistic statement. Like, is it though? The Gospels told us that people actively want to murder Jesus, which is eventually what happens. It's not pessimism to recognize that there's people out to kill you. He says, this is probably what's going to happen. Let's, let's go with him and die too. That's, I mean, it's not a positive thing, but it's courage, it's loyalty, it's faith. So when we later read about this person who's saying, unless I can grab this guy with my hands, I won't believe, we should recognize the depth of his conviction and his character based on the last thing that we know that he did and said. He, I think Thomas is so all in that I think embedded, like he's, on one level he's saying, yes, I need to see Jesus' body and actually touch like the wounds in his body. 
An interesting thing is the word for the mark of the nails, that word is a Greek word uh, pronounced tupos, which is where we get our word type, like a type. So this Bible is a type of book, um, typology, all these sorts of words that have to do with a pattern of things, the same type of thing happening. Um, one of the meanings of that word is an example to be imitated. One of the ways that Greek word is used is when you want to say this is something that will be done again, that should be imitated. And I think at one level Thomas is saying, I bailed out on Jesus when he needed me, when he was killed, and unless I can go all the way and die with him, and die for him, and maybe in the same way as him, just put my finger there. If I can just be like somewhere close to following Jesus, like I need another chance at that. And then I'm all in. I think he's saying he's willing to die. He's saying he needs to encounter Jesus to really live that conviction out. third key thing that I think Thomas is asking for and is saying is that he recognizes that he needs Jesus to have faith in Jesus. Which again is asking no more than anybody else in that room has experienced. And isn't it true faith is a gift? Isn't it true that God helps us believe that without Jesus, without God, we're not capable in ourselves of just like drumming up faith for stuff. We don't white knuckle through faith. You ask for it. Thomas is recognizing that the true source of faith is Jesus. And he's saying, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have faith. I'd say the same thing. Without Jesus, I have no faith. This is my faith, the source of my faith, the substance of my faith, the empowerment of my faith, the expression of my faith. An interesting parallel passage with this request of Thomas is John 6.35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And he's talking to, to a crowd after he's fed the multitude there. He's saying, I am that stuff. I am the bread of life. Thomas recognizes that Jesus' body, Jesus, is the bread of life. And without that, He's hungry. He's recognizing that without coming to Jesus, without Jesus coming to him, he's thirsty. He has no faith. The, the word comes to there is this, I mean, it's a really common word, but John could have used a different word for Jesus coming into the upper rooms. It's the same word. Jesus comes to 
comes into the midst of them. Some people want to translate it like appears, but it's actually way more normal than that, and it's the same word that he uses here. So I think that's what Thomas is asking for and hoping for and believing for. And you know why I think he believes for it? Because he sticks around for another eight days. He doesn't leave. He doesn't isolate himself. How many times when we feel like we've missed out on something is our almost gut reaction to want to isolate ourselves? Oh, you guys all got to share that awesome experience that I didn't get to share. So I'm going to further remove myself and go have my pity party over here. Because I'm already alone, so I'm just going to be more alone. As if that makes sense. But in, in one level, it does make sense. Because like I missed, I don't have that experience I have. You guys all have this rejoicing thing. I'm not there. I don't have that. But he stays. And I think it's a credit to everybody else as well that they, they let him stay. They let him be with him in this sort of limbo state where they're all like, yes, Jesus is real. And yet for some reason they're still locked up in this room eight days later. But maybe they, maybe they were just hanging. Maybe they were doing it for Thomas' sake. I don't know. Maybe Thomas was like, fine, I'm not leaving this room until Jesus shows up here. And they're like, okay, man, we're with you. I don't know. I'm totally speculating. But we do know that Thomas was there. And I'm sure that every day for those next eight days that Thomas did not leave that room. Or wherever everybody else is like, where are you guys going? All right, I'm with you, I'm with you. Where are we going? Where are you? All right, okay. He was like, I'm here. Nobody leave. Nobody get it. No, we're not buying salsa. We're fasting. He stuck it out. He stayed. And what does Jesus do? He shows up again. He meets Thomas specifically in a powerful and intimate encounter. He says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Sometimes that's read like, kind of like this sarcastic rebuke, like, am I real enough for you yet? You know, sarcasm, or English word sarcasm, literally comes from roots that mean to tear flesh. I don't think Jesus, who had his body ripped to shreds a few days before, is in a sarcastic mood. think he's done with that. I think he's in an incredible, compassionate, loving, confident, mood. He's beaten death, guys. It's finished. He's done it. 
And he still has these wounds in his body. And he's like, here, touch them. I did this for you. And you can touch me. I'm not like too holy now to be tampered with. I'm not a floating spirit that you should all try to be like. I'm a real guy who got murdered and came back to life. And you can touch me where it hurt the most. Because I did that so that you could be healed where you hurt the most. Jesus' body and wounds are not too holy and separate to be encountered. Because he invites Thomas to do that. final thing Jesus says there is, do not believe, but believe. And I read that as, again, as an impartation of faith. It's like he's casting out this unbelief. I'm not saying Thomas didn't have problems in his heart. I'm not saying he was perfect. Like, he could have maybe chosen to believe, but like, on one, he's, like he's also like, but I need you, Jesus. I'm reminded of, of the father of the boy who uh, was having probably seizures or demon-possessed or some combination of stuff and would, was mute and all this stuff. And, he said, and Jesus is like, do you believe? And, he's, and he cries out to Jesus, Lord, you know I believe. Help my unbelief. What? I think that's what Jesus, same type of thing that Jesus is addressing here. He's like, I know you believe. And the unbelief can go. It's gone. The word, I, some translations will say doubt, which is obviously where we get doubting Thomas. I think unbelief, uh, and belief, do not be unbelieving, but believing is a better translation because it's the word for believing is pistis, which is often translated faith or belief. And the word that gets used as doubt or unbelief is apistis. So it's just like the opposite version of the same thing. Right? It's the counter to faith. So in English, it's, I think it's probably better to use the word like unbelief and belief. Um, Jesus deals with that. He imparts, he says, touch me, see me, know me, and what you asked for, that faith that you couldn't, Manifest in yourself. Here it is. You know what Thomas says? My Lord and my God. Nobody else responded to Jesus in that way. This is the climax. Thomas' confession of faith right there is the climax of this entire gospel. He gets it. He gets Jesus. He knows who he is, and he says it. You know what Mary says when she comes back from meeting Jesus? She says, I've seen the Lord. What do the disciples tell Thomas when he shows up a, few hour, a couple hours late to the party? 
we have seen the Lord. What does Thomas say? My Lord and my God. He recognizes Jesus. This is the most true, accurate, and faithful confession of Jesus in this gospel. Jesus just isn't Lord. He's God. This brings, this is the summation of what we've been, where we started off in the prologue of the gospel, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Thomas recognizes that. In verse 14, chapter 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or tented among us, is a literal translation. My Lord and my God. God and human. He gets it and says it. And then Jesus responds to that. (laughs) May we all have the faith of Thomas. Still getting there. Jesus says, you have believed because you've seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Some translations frame the first part of that as a question. They put a question mark there. That's not in any Greek manuscript because there's no punctuation in any Greek manuscript. That's an interpretive move that translators make because they feel like this should be a question. Have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who believe and yet have not seen. That makes sense on one level, except for everything that we've just been talking about. Why is Jesus asking a sarcastic question like this, like, oh, you've believed now that you've seen? I mean, he doesn't have to ask it as a question that way, but I think it makes more sense for him to say it as a statement. I imagine Jesus here with Thomas. He's just had this radical encounter. Maybe Thomas has like fallen to his knees and grabbed onto Jesus and cried out, my Lord and my God. And then maybe Jesus bends down and puts his arm around him and pulls him back up to his feet and is holding him here. He says, you've believed because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Jesus knows there's going to be generations and generations and generations of people who are not around for the few days, the short amount of time that his body is going to be on earth after he rises again. I don't think he's chastising Thomas here. I think he's saying, You got what you asked for. I was happy to give it to you. You've believed because you've seen. Lots of people aren't going to have this exact same encounter. But you need to tell them about it, and they are going to be blessed when they believe. Have compassion on them if they're having a hard time. Just because they're not where you are at now. They are blessed because faith is a gift. 
And I think part of the good news is as well that Jesus does meet with us, doesn't he? He gave us his Holy Spirit. He's not a distant floating God who is unattainable and unreachable. He's with us and willing to meet with us and impart faith to us. Not just willing, happy to do this. It is the reason that he did these things. So that we can have faith. In John, sin is essentially defined as unbelief in Jesus over and over again. Jesus talks about unbelieving generations. In the Gospel of John particularly, sin is the lack of faith. Particularly obstinate, hard-hearted, willful, obtuse unbelief. Exemplified by the religious leaders who know the scriptures better than anyone else and should really understand, if anyone does, that Jesus is the guy. And there's all these signs. John has lots of signs that reveal things about Jesus and who he is. And Jesus deals with that. He says, unfaith, anti-faith, go. Faith, come. Believe. That's real faith. that's what I think about Thomas and Jesus. But I don't think this is the end of the story for us. I think we are being given the opportunity to say to Jesus, I need you. I can't believe without you. And I think probably in, in part of our hearts, part of our hearts do believe, right? Maybe 10 elevenths of our heart are like, yes, Jesus. And there's this one really wounded, abandoned, left out, abused, misunderstood, passionate. All in. Part of our heart. That's still saying, I need more Jesus. Does anybody want more Jesus? I need more Jesus. I know 
hear so many parts of my heart, my heart screaming out to Jesus saying, I need a hug from you. I got to touch you. You know, we talk about the blood of Jesus doing things. Blood comes from wounds. Thomas is like, that's where I need to be. That's the part I need to touch. That's right on. The fastest way to the blood of Jesus is his wounds. He's still pouring it out for us, guys. His blood is not limited. It's not limited time only, limited supply. It is abundant. This is the abundant life that Jesus talked about earlier. In John 10.10, I came that they may have life, abundant life, and it flows out of his wounds. We kind of already started to, but let's continue to pray. I'm going to pray with you guys. I'm going to pray for you guys. You can stay in your seat if you want. You can collapse on the floor. You can run up here and collapse on your knees or stand here with your arms outstretched or whatever. Whatever helps you say, Jesus, I need you. And let's be honest, guys. It's okay. It's okay to say, I'm afraid about this thing. I'm uncertain about this thing. Do you know that's what faith is? If you're certain about it, it's not faith. Saying that I'm uncertain and I'm afraid about this and saying that to Jesus is an expression of faith because you are trusting him and saying that you need him there. Let's confess that faith, guys, to Jesus who is Lord and God. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord Jesus, we want you. We do not want unbelief. We want belief in every, every corner of our heart and mind, God. In every open place and in every closed up, locked up, part of our hearts that's locked in fear. We need you to come into that place that we may rejoice with you. the great things about this story is Jesus wasn't angry at anybody who had abandoned him to his horrible, brutal death. He came and rejoiced with them. I don't think it was just the disciples. I think Jesus was pretty happy too to be back with his best friends. And I think there are some of us here today who have parts of our hearts where we have locked them up or people have told us 
that part of you is yucky. That part of you is gross. I don't like that part of you. That part of you is to this, not enough that. And Jesus wants to come into that part of your heart and celebrate with you and rejoice, not just over the fact that he is there, but that that part of you exists. 